Hello. Last time my guest was on this show, he was running a startup called Geospock in Cambridge in the UK, devising ways to build smart cities. Today he's here as the CEO of the blockchain transaction processing business, Tal, which is a big player in the world of Bitcoin SV. So welcome back, Richard Baker. Thank you very much, Charles. A pleasure to meet you again. <laughs> well, thank you for doing it. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Well, Richard, before we get on to Tal, um, just a little update on Geospock. What, what's happening there? Yeah, Geospock, uh, headquartered in Cambridge, as you quite rightly introduced. Uh, I moved from Geospock in February of 2021, uh, which coincided with me joining the board of Tal. And the original founder, Dr. Steve Marsh, took over running the company. And so uh, I haven't caught up with him recently, uh, but he's been progressing things since I left. Great. Well, so Tal, it's, um, it's a rather different kind of business from Geospock. What, what sort of things are you having to learn or have you had to learn to take over as CEO of Tal? Uh, it is quite a different business. You're right. Uh, well, I, I guess first thing is obviously I have to figure out how to, uh, to step into Stefan Matthews' shoes. Uh, so really grateful uh, that he is our executive chairman and I've been able to succeed him. He's looking CEO. over your shoulder. He's looking over both shoulders, yeah. Um, but uh, he's a great sparring partner, Charles. He's a very open thinker, um, really supportive. I think you know he did a great job in building the leadership team that we have at Tal. And, and my job is to try and take us on through the next layer of innovation now and really commercialize the business and I think that's probably beyond subsidy mining. How do we move now into really monetizing transactions and all of the technology that's associated to making a, tra a transaction happen? Well, let's talk about that in a second, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm thinking that perhaps your qualifications for this are not just obviously in relation to Geospot, but be, behind that, there's a history of being involved with innovative technologies over a much longer period, really. Yes, and it's, it's funny how the world works at times, I think. I, I personally have a, a long history in telecoms originally. I was um, building infrastructure, you know, fiber optic networks, voice over IP networks uh, through the 90s and 2000s. And then uh, a period of time in digital media, you know, so the first incarnation of really what was taking advantage of these high bandwidth fiber optic networks around the world. So that was first incarnation of streaming services. Mm -hmm. Um, and then laterally, I went on to be a founder of a financial services exchange. So I built a commodities futures exchange, uh, ran that for six or seven years, which was all about trade execution of very high volume uh, contracts. And ironically, I find there is a real convergence of my history in the role at Tal. You know, we're really looking at, at how do we build a next generation blockchain infrastructure for high volume transaction processing and particularly big blocks but ultimately that it's, it's a platform that's available for every industry that's now beginning to digitize and use blockchain uh, to automate how they run their companies. But just stepping right back to the more sort of abstract level, are there things about getting involved in blockchain at this stage and people's sort of hopes or worries that perhaps it's not gonna work that ring bells for you in relation to these other technological revolutions or innovations that you've been involved with? Uh, yes, I think at a practical level, you know, I, I probably have spent most of my life on the bleeding edge of 
many new technologies. And uh, along those times, I think, you know, early adopters and entrepreneurs, in, early innovators get very excited about the potential of the new technology. Um, and and uh, I'll, I'll reference an analyst for a second, but obviously Gartner has, has had a long history of putting the Gartner hype cycle curve to most new technologies. And personal experience has shown me that that hype cycle lives true. You know, there is a very undetermined period of time from a technology that rises the hype cycle and then it loses its its appeal and goes through that trough of disillusionment. And then which ones will come up and, and actually mature and, and, and be around for the future of industry? So the, the hype cycle is in a way a kind of reassurance to people who are involved in some technology that everyone was excited about and then they move on to something else. But the people who are still working in it can think, oh, we're just part of the hype cycle. Don't worry, it's all going to come good. Is that... Yes, exactly. And, and I think as you're coming through that hype cycle, I think what you've really got to look for is who are the companies and the entrepreneurs that are deeply invested, who is really committing on a broad scale. I think to bring a technology like, you know, the BSV blockchain to market, you need uh, a fundamental broad strategy from building protocols to building ultimately the instrumentation that's going to allow you to run very large networks to, of course, being able to be open for all of the applications and services that are now being programmatically built to use the blockchain. So where on the hype cycle are we in this one, would you say? Um, that's, that's a really great question because I think it's such a complicated ecosystem, you, you'd have to break it into, into component parts. I think there is an evolution for mining and the battle, and I'll say a battle, I think it is the conceptual battle between which proof is ultimately going to be better in the long term. Proof of work, proof of stake, proof of history. I, I think the fundamentals are really beginning to show through that proof of work, and particularly in the incarnation of the original Bitcoin protocol, uh, is the most scalable, economically beneficial proof for the long term. Um, so I think we're, we're coming off the top end of the hype cycle. Um, there's a trough of disillusionment that we're, we're in, I think. Yeah, I think it is this next two years. Right. And partly linked to the, the next halving event in 2024 on the Bitcoin protocol yes. itself, but also the, the real acceleration in investments in the plethora of next generation Ethereum alternatives. So these layer two networks. So how much of your time as CEO of Tal do you anticipate spending keeping a close eye on Ethereum and other potential rivals, really? Well, I think any modern leader always has an eye on the market, Charles. I think you have to understand what's going on competitively. Um, technology is an extremely fast-paced industry, no matter what part of technology you work in. You know, I, I think uh, cycles now of reinventing a capability every 10 to 12 months is, is just the harsh reality. And so I, I would be crazy to not be paying attention every day to what's really going on in, in broader ecosystems. So it, it's a fundamental part of leading this company. You mentioned the halving of the Bitcoin reward in 2024. When I talked to Stefan Matthews not so long ago, I was looking at the latest report from Tal and the transaction fees amount to about 3% of revenue at the moment. So obviously the halving of the revenue of the rest of that is going to be a big deal. How do you think that's going to play out? I think that's going to play out very successfully. And I think that's probably what I'm going to be uh, hanging my hat on as the leader of Tal uh, in this next phase. Um, 
you know, a, a fundamental part of what we have to do is, uh, one, support the open protocol, the Bitcoin protocol, and generate a transaction economy. Today, TAL is the principal miner on that BSV network, but we really want to see many other miners join this ecosystem. It's a strange sort of business to be in where what you really need is competitors, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. But, you know, I'm, I'm a networks guy at heart, Charles, and competition in the network generally develops and builds a bigger ecosystem. And uh, so I, I think, you know, it, it's inevitable and desirable that we have really solid competition from trusted parties in the consensus layer, in, in the mining layer. I think when we're looking at large enterprises, and many are now evaluating public blockchains as a solution for their businesses, but they need to see robustness in the infrastructure layer. I mean, I don't know whether you think this is a curious feature of TAL and similar businesses compared to others that you've worked for, but it seems to me that your success rather depends on things outside of your control, such as the dollar price of Bitcoin SV and the number of transactions that people want processed. Although you can influence perhaps some of those things, really you're sort of, in a way, sitting there hoping that they're going to work out to, in your favour. Is that, is that fair? Uh, yes and no. I think, I think um, we all keep an eye on the, on the daily price of, of each of the SHA256 coins in particular, but also all the crypto coins. Um, I think, you know, I don't spend my days trying to worry about how I can drive up the price of BSV. No. Well, I don't know how you could if you did want to. <laughs> no. Well, I, I think in any market, you know, I built an exchange and that is a function of liquidity. And the, the answer to BSV ultimately accreting in value is going to be about how we build liquidity. And liquidity is built by having a fundamental utility, you know, that this is a utility service. And we're, we're still in the early but really exciting phase of having that utility used. And I think my observation, you know, just kind of six weeks into the leadership role is we have got some amazing companies in the ecosystem building out fantastic services for the future. In the gaming industry, we've got, you know, Crypto Fights, which is the game by uh, FYX. And that's a play to earn game. And the play to earn gaming category around the world is booming. But I think what people don't really realize about the play to earn game category is that is the tokenization of events from in-game activity. And actually, that looks a lot like how an autonomous vehicle is going to drive around a smart city in five to ten years. That vehicle will have a smart token on board. It will be interacting with streetlights, with road gantry systems, and it will be a micro-economy architecture. But this is Geospock, isn't it? This is in part what we were working on with Geospock, exactly. So. What really excites me about FYX and the, and the CryptoFights game is that play-to-earn game looks a lot like the functions of a connected autonomous vehicle in the future. You know, that vehicle already has an eSIM connected telemetry on board. It's being tokenized, and the events are background events. So they are all microtransactions that ultimately fit perfectly on a very scalable architecture blockchain network. Well, I mean, that's really interesting because it sounds like you're thinking of what happens in these virtual worlds as being a sort of working model for what might be useful in the real world with real cars and real streets and things. 
Exactly, Charles. And I think, you know, that, that's, that's largely where we've got to try and keep paying attention, which is where we're trying to build a utility infrastructure at Tau that serves multiple industry use cases. And I think when you start to think about the personas of, uh, of different industries, and we stay with the play to earn category, at the end of the day, you know, when I'm in a game like a play to earn game, what the promise of the blockchain offers is that I can own and control my identity in that game through my token, through my wallet. So everything I do ultimately is my digital footprint. It describes how I play and when I play. It describes my rewards and, and ultimately how I've interacted with that community. But what's different this time round versus you know, gaming verticals we've had in, in, in history is that I can port through the private public key and that token arrangement, I can port myself to another game. If we really think about where the metaverse is going to go, what I earn in one environment, I may want to use in another. And so whilst we see it through the lens of gaming right now, you know, it's, it's coincidental that we've seen a big explosion in NFT for video, for music, for retail brands. And ultimately, my ability to jump in and out of all of these different ecosystems, these metaverses, is going to require something that looks a lot like a metanet service provider. You know, we will need to have robust architecture that deals with all of the movement of microtransactions and identities in and out of all of those different ecosystems. Is that, in a sense, you're hoping to replace Amazon Web Services and those kind of businesses? Um, I'm not as courageous to say that I would sit well, here and, t- and take on, anyway. but I, I have a huge respect for AWS. I, I work with them extensively over the last few years. I think in my mind, there's probably a collision of our worlds in a few years' time. You know, I, I think, um, and I say that because, you know, they are already experiencing the move to the edge, meaning compute edge, so, you know, 5G mobile base stations are now standard compute and storage components. And that is a distributed edge node servicing lots of highly connected devices. And so I think we've got also a big challenge on our hands in the fact that actually this is where a decentralized ledger technology like blockchain serves the purpose of how do I move around those, those compute edge environments? How do I manage data identities at the edge of a network? And so there will be, in my mind, I think, a joining of forces over the next three, five, seven years of mobile operators, the big cloud compute companies, and the public blockchain leaders. One thing I've never understood about this is um, I've heard of the idea that TAR will do deals with different businesses to process their transactions and that maybe they'll offer a better rate or something than, than a rival. But then what happens if you don't win the block that those transactions are going to be in. Because does that mean that your sort of special customers with the special deal have to wait for Tal to win a block and then the transactions will... Do you see what I mean? I do, yes. And I'm really glad you've gone straight to the hot topic. Um, I I think this is an issue. Um, I'm debating it at the moment with the management team. Um, Again, when I go back to the Bitcoin white paper, and I look at the principles of the white paper, I, I think there is a change that Tal probably needs to face. Um, so akin to my comment, which is, I want to see many miners come onto the BSV protocol. You know, we need a competitive consensus network to build that as a trusted infrastructure. 
it, it needs to be a solid utility if we're really expecting significant industries to move over and use this technology. But then how does that relate to the question that I was asking? So it relates to the question in the fact that, uh, is it viable really for Tau to be running uh, a transaction API and ultimately running a mempool where we're dealing with the formation of those transactions into the next block? And today there is, there is a sync difference between the public blockchain and the mempool that we have running in Tau. And so we're evaluating whether that's really the right way to run. And that links to the fees. So, so if, you're, if you're paying 500 Satoshis and you're getting a rebate from Tal on that um, because you've got high volume, you know, that, that's an economic commercial decision that any services company can take. But I, I think we're missing some of the fundamentals of, of actually how the relay fees in a very well um, in a, in a highly competitive network will work. And I, I think we need to pay a bit of attention to that over the next few months. But, but so am I right in thinking that your customers do have to wait for your block to go onto the blockchain before those transactions are validated? No, no. Uh, we are competing for the blocks. Uh, there is no more of a wait for our customers than, than the public blockchain. No, there, there's no. There is a delay sometimes in um, minutes in, in terms of how the block is reported. But no, there is no delay. Right, but then the person, if, if it's not Tal that does get the block with your customers cheap, as it were, transactions in, that processor will have to accept the low fees that your customers have agreed with you. Is that right? I think you can probably separate those points. At the end of the day, when you publish into the public node network, we're really then talking about the relay fees. And so any, any miner on the network is ultimately looking at the incoming block to say, okay, shall I compete for that? What's the relay fee? And that, that is that is a common for all miners on the network. What we may choose to do as a transaction processor as we receive transactions can be separated from how the relay fee functions in the network. Right. That, that there is a complete separation there. Again, uh, maybe for another interview when we've worked through a few things, but I, I think we need to make it simpler for Tal customers to come in and transmit transactions. And, you know, I, I think that needs to look a lot like how I might run Amazon Web Services or Google. I need to come in through a, you know, an account console, pay my subscription fee, have a volume of metered access submission transactions. Um, I, I think, I think we can re-architect commercially how that's going to work. So am I right in thinking that the sort of general direction you're talking about? <clears throat> is instead of this idea that Tal would have all these friendly people that would get on the phone and chat to people like salespeople about, please, can we do your transactions, that it would be a much more automated process that, you, you know, you don't really even need to know it is. You just, this is the price for this. And Correct. Yeah. And actually, you trigger a really good fundamental point. You know, I think I've spent a lot of time getting to know the Bitcoin Association and, and my peer group leaders in a lot of the, the companies in the ecosystem. I think we have to remind ourselves that right now we need to group together as an ecosystem and really power through the next 24 months in winning out that this is the best, best technology and the best utility network for the long term. The fight is outside. It isn't inside. We need to win against Solana. We need to win against Polkadot and Cardano. BTC will face its 
challenge going into the next halving event. You know, it's already not got a scaling program. It will never be able to deal with the transaction volumes that the BSV network can. However, the ecosystem that is the BSV community must unite now and really focus on, are we open for business? Is, is it a frictionless experience when you're coming to build an application or a service? How do I port from an Ethereum environment, from a layer two network into the BSV network? Where are our developer tools? How easy is the documentation to access? These are the fundamentals now of becoming a really open ecosystem where actually we make it easy for partners to come and build on the BSV protocol. And where do you think is the most sort of critical sort of pinch point that is holding that up at the moment? Um, I think uh, we've started to, to I, th I think it's just human beings really, Charles. I think we're all very busy people running <laughs> the companies. And I think it's about creating the forum to try and unite those conversations and, and make sure we, we understand we're all on the same journey. Right. Once the BSV community is united and has a single message, then it's still a job to do to go out into the big wide world and persuade people, isn't it? It is. And that's happening in an abundance right now. You know, the Bitcoin Association team are in so many markets, talking from governments to institutions to developer hubs. Um, I think the richness of this ecosystem is sometimes misunderstood. You know, I'm, I'm really delighted that the new BitcoinSV.com domain has been brought up by the Bitcoin Association. And for the first time, that is the one venue that houses everything that is going on across the ecosystem. But we are seeing momentum at governmental level, at federal level, at regulators, big institutions. And, you know, our moment is now for the next 24 to 36 months to win this market. That's great. I mean, I, I can certainly feel that kind of momentum in terms of these different entities, but I'm slightly worried that it's a momentum in terms of people talking and that what would be great is if there's somebody making a lot of money. I think that would do more than almost anything to, to, to do the job that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think you've always got to be careful when you're bringing a new technology to market to not introvert and tell yourself how wonderful you all are. Um, and I've seen that in many technologies in history. Our job is to make sure this is translated to the outside world and is easy to adopt and, and it's frictionless to adopt. But where do you think in, in a year's time or something, you would be most likely to be able to, talking to somebody who knew nothing about this, to say, well, look at this. This is, this is a guy who's just come up with this incredible thing and he's absolutely coining it in, business is exploding, and um, all you need to do is take that as an example. Yeah. Where do you think that kind of good news is going to come from? Uh, so I, I think, you know, uh, certainly from, from Tal's viewpoint, I think, you know, hopefully you will see us evolve to be, you know, a services platform company over the course of this year. We will invest and grow our fleet of mining assets, but we will sit on top of that a more agile software architecture that makes it easier for people to come and submit transactions, run analytics, understand uh, what's going on with the with with the underlying part of the infrastructure, and I think that's a foundational level to then be uh, available for industries that are looking to use this. And I am aware today, obviously, we've got tenders out for sandboxes for central bank digital currencies. We've got a lot of automotive companies that are in the market looking at blockchains for how they're going to run IoT data into the blockchain. 
We have a huge amount of enterprise customers in supply chain, in mobile telco, all looking at sandbox projects and scalable projects. Most have tried, Charles, private blockchains, and they have hit limits, and they've understood scaling and cost is not going to be fit for purpose. I've had six conversations just in the last week with big enterprises that are now looking at public blockchains as the way they will run their enterprises. So I won't drop into naming names at this point in time, but I think, yes. But they're, are, they're are, names I would have heard of? They're names you would have heard of, yeah. And this is why, and I know I know the BSV community um, has a bit of an identity crisis, you know, and I'm sitting here as a gray-haired, uh, experienced technologist turning 50 this year. So, you know, I represent the boomer market, but I have my eyes firmly on what is going on in Gen Z and millennial space. I, you know, have... Children that are all doing computer science, I pay attention to what they do in their Discord channels, how these communities function. You know, we need to be, as Tal, we need to be a high-performance technology company. And I think we have come a long way in the last year. Stefan did a great job, but my role is to bring us back to being that accessible, high-performance technology company that can embrace some of these big enterprises. But I need the ecosystem building these services and applications to bring in those big customers. We have to do it together. Well, Richard, thank you so much. It's, it sounds like really exciting plans. And maybe you'll come back and uh, tell me when you can name some of those big six companies, because I'm sure everyone would be very interested. Absolutely, Charles. Pleasure to talk to you again. And hopefully we can bring some of those big names with us and talk it through together. So thank you. Look forward to it very much. Thank you very much, Richard. Bye now. Bye. Thanks very much to Richard Baker. Next week, we'll be getting an insight into the inventions factory that is Enchain, with its director of research, Owen Vaughan. So if you'd like to find out what exciting blockchain projects they're working on, please join me and Owen next week. Until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>